After gathering at Dr. Aluso's homestead, the Hounds of Mercy, Sitlali, Gentle, Jaron, and Mercy herself, now reunited with Oka, head to Damathati a day before their meeting with Konso Karishma Bataval to get their bearings and scope out the city. Dabathati has changed. The mountain stronghold is now swarming with Chrysalis supporters who are holding a conference later in the week. They meet up with Bravi, Mercy's ex and Oka's blood-hunting mentor, who tells them that the paragon of Yudabathi is Old Mama Lightning, the oldest and most notorious captain of the Aurochs Guild. The group heads back to their hotel to do some classic hounds infighting, and their room is promptly exploded. They're all miraculously unharmed, although Sitlali disappears to go on a date with Sybil the Cruel, her ex who stole Gentle's direwolf bud. The others regroup and meet up with Karishma, who's barely hanging onto her seat as the last bastion of anti-chrysalis sentiment in Dabathati. Karishma points the party in the direction of the monster-fighting pits to find Lady Saram and figure out where Old Mama Lightning has disappeared off to. Jaron steals plans of the Chrysalis' headquarters and makes some weak excuses to sneak away while Mercy goes to look for Sitlali and Oka and Gentle head to the monster fighting pit. Gentle and Oka face down an empty mimic and meet Butcher, who's actually Bud, now the executioner of the Aurochs Guild. Meanwhile, Jaron sneaks into the Chrysalis headquarters. Adam finds and confronts Jaron and offers him a lucrative deal. Let the Chrysalis kill Old Mama Lightning so that the Paragon prophecy is broken and Oka doesn't have to sacrifice themselves to save Endake. Jaron agrees to think about it and shakes Adam's hand. After being escorted out of the Chrysalis headquarters by Adam, Jaron finds himself in a shabby tavern, unable to think of anything except the deal. Oka and Gentle in the pits learn that Old Mama Lightning has been kidnapped by the Chrysalis. They regroup, but Sitlali is missing. Oka uses the blood from her prayer bones to try to pinpoint where the cleric has gone, and discovers that Sitlali is trapped in the Nothing Plane. And Old Mama Lightning is there with them, protecting them with the god shards of Siraksha and Thristi, the other two heads of Yudabathi. The Hounds decide to infiltrate the conference and save Sitlali. On stage, Adam begins to address the crowd, telling the story of how he found the Chrysalis. He promises a miracle and tears open a portal to the Nothing Plane, pulling out Old Mama Lightning and Sitlali. The Hounds leap into action, but Jaron tries to stop Ravi from saving Old Mama Lightning. A massive battle ensues, but despite everything, Adam refuses to die. And in the struggle that follows, Jaron accidentally says, No, she has to die. The empty monster he was controlling takes this as a command and kills Ravi Jin. Oka watches their mentor die. And Adam, left to his own devices, finishes his first miracle and summons the Chrysalis a being made of thousands of wings folding in on themselves and eating reality. The bodiless. The hounds leap into action, but Jaron doubles down. He needs Old Mama Lightning to die now, or all of this will have been for nothing. They attack her, but miss her heart, and she cuts off his arm. 
Old Mama Lightning calls for Vinash to leave Oka and join her, but the God of Rage refuses. Sitlali, Gentle, and Mercy banish the Chrysalis back to the Nothing Plane, and Sitlali sends Adam back there as well as penance for him eating her changeling magic. The Hounds make a dramatic escape after Gentle gives a speech to the people of Dabathati, and Oka accidentally summons Dr. Eluso. The Hounds rest and take a moment to process everything that just happened to them. Oka lays Ravi to rest at the Temple of Thismun, and there they dream of Bazul, the former paragon of Yudabathi, who encourages them to let go of Vinash. Gentle and Jaron agree to go back home to Moroz after business in Dabathati is dealt with. Sitlali scries on Adam, and they're promptly shown a vision of him in a Shell gas station in Ohio. While putting back his drink, Adam sees a group of strange people heading into the bathroom, where he finds a portal. He steps into the portal and is promptly spat onto a shore in Talmud, near the raven's eye. Adam sees a smaller, weaker chrysalis, who bestows upon him the power to speak Andakan languages, and he cons his way into becoming the Imago. Armed with this information, the hounds head to the headquarters of the Aurochs Guild and meet with Old Mama Lightning, who becomes the fully realized paragon of Yudabathi. Afterwards, Old Mama Lightning reveals that she was dreamed into existence by the Aurochs, who is a beholder. The Aurochs also recognizes Dr. Eluso, whom she saw walking through the Silent Grove in Toulon over 200 years ago. The Hounds then head to Sybil's monster play palace to retrieve Bud. Sybil and Gentle nearly come to blows, but Sitlali resolves the tension. Barely. On their way out, Oka receives a letter from Adam that requests that the Hounds meet with him. They decide to go, if only to confront Adam. In the basement, Adam offers the Hounds a deal. He will release all 3,193 souls pledged to the Chrysalis via contract if Equilibrium agrees to leave him alone and meet him on the battlefield when the stranger arrives. Jaron is not convinced and confronts Adam about the bad deal they had made together. And Sitlali makes Adam a counteroffer. Adam releases the souls, and she keeps his secret about not being from Endake or from this plane of existence. Adam agrees. He releases all the souls under Chrysalis' contract and jumps into the Nothing Plane, but not before Sitlali gets a good contagion spell on him. Oka promptly sets the headquarters on fire, and the team gets everyone out and begins to help people as the members of the Chrysalis regain full autonomy with the release of their souls. The Hounds pack up and prepare for their next journey. Jaron apologizes to Mercy, who promptly fires him from the Hounds. Gentle says goodbye to Oka and Sitlali since they're going to Moroz with Jaron. Oka and Jaron have a tense farewell, but they promise to write eight letters each. Oka agrees to teach Sitlali how to use a sword to defend themselves, And finally, for the last time, the hounds set off together to the homestead. Meanwhile, a thousand miles away, Manaya, Dewey, V, and Abiku head to Kirtal, where Toktoa Kagan waits for Dewey to claim the god shard of Galtanger. The team traverses the Euclid Chasm, and Abiku talks to a succulent, who tells her about a strange seed that dwells in the deepest part of the chasm. But their conversation is interrupted by the Paragon's continued prodding at the nature of Abiku's undead existence. That night in the chasm, the Paragons have a different dream. A dream of oblivion. 
then the blinding white pain of existence. The party's distrust comes to a head, and Abiku admits that she doesn't know who she is. She only remembers waking up in the chasm near the godspine and wandering aimlessly until Dr. Aluso found her. Finally, the party crests the Euclid chasm into Kirtal. As they do, Abiku is afflicted by a vision of the past and introduces the paragons to Sun, a skeletal drake companion that she woke up with. Upon hearing this, V flashes back to stories her mother used to tell her about the Titans, draconic and gigantic mages. The party reaches Taktoa Kagan's war camp. Abiku sees a vision, this time of another war camp. It becomes clear that this memory is from the Thousand Year War, an event in Andake's prehistoric, mythic past that eventually brought about the demise of the titanic mage empires. Dewey, Manaya, V, and Rev speak with Toktoa herself, who tells them that she's preparing her people for the coming fight against the stranger. V steals a handful of gold horse figurines off of Toktoa's war table, and Dewey tries to sell his Godjar LLC idea. Toktoa tells the paragons of the Great Herd, a massive stampede, and that Galtinger is at the heart of the herd. Toktoa asks for a private meeting with Dewey. And then it turns out that this Toktoa was actually the Myriad, who greets Dewey with news about the tapestry in Morose, the only written record of the Stranger War. Rev senses the cause of her undeath in the weave and apparates to attack the Myriad, but Dewey protects him, and the dog-headed demon gets away. Manaya then approaches the party, saying she received a letter from Princess Kakoa asking for her aid in stopping the storm to the south and claiming the Godshard of Mahu. She apologizes, but realizes that destiny cannot wait any longer. After a heartfelt goodbye, she takes up her axe and heads to the kingdom of Uhanahi. Abiku, V, Dewey, and Rev head out to find the Great Herd, but find the gargantuan empty beast, the Hunter, that stalks it instead. A battle ensues, but unfortunately the hunter seems completely unbothered by the damage it's taken and shakes the paragons off like pests. Dewey sees the great herd is approaching the battle, and the shard of Galtinger appears to him in the form of a white calf. She entreats her paragon to open his soul so they might defeat the hunter together, but Dewey refuses. He still doesn't think he's good enough and offers the god jar instead for her to roost in. But Galtanger, the goddess of freedom, is disgusted by the idea of being held in a cage that Dewey has built for her. She recognizes it as a prison, so she might be sacrificed while Dewey is saved, and so she refuses. Galtanger doesn't want to die to the stranger just like Dewey, and she refuses to be kept in a jar. Galtanger disappears to rejoin the herd and flees from the hunter, destroying the god jar in the process. In the wake of the battle against the hunter and Galtinger's destruction of the god jar, Dewey goes back to his tent to sulk. V follows him in, chewing him out for running away from his destiny. Despite their setbacks, the team has to keep moving. Soon enough, the party comes across the ancestral homeland of Karvach Turai, the former paragon of Galtinger. The Agon of the clan is waiting for Toktoa's aid, but it hasn't come yet, and they need help clearing out the empty monsters from inside the tomb. It soon becomes obvious that this is due to V's theft of the gold horse figurines off of Toktoa's war table. The party agrees to make up for this mistake by clearing out the tomb. 
In the tomb, the walls are carved murals that tell the story of Karvach Terai, her toiling under the tyrannical thumb of the Queen of the Valley, leading a peasant rebellion, being captured by the Queen, and her subsequent ascent to Paragonhood. The story ends upon a raised dais where Karvach has laid out a message for her successor, Dewey. The past Paragons didn't win against the stranger. They weren't perfect, and the stranger left on its own terms for unknown reasons. The party fumbles with this world-altering realization and calls upon Dr. Eluso to help them sort it out, who suggests that the party sleep in Karvach's tomb to receive visions. V offers to search through Abiku's memories and is startled to learn that her mind is a shattered miasma of painful fragments nearly untreatable. V searches for draconic mages, but only sees clipped images of a woman with dark skin, purple satin robes, and sharp teeth. This doesn't settle Abiku's mind, who has to put herself into a paralytic trance in order to rest. During this trance, Abiku is visited by the Raven Queen, who suggests that she remembers Abiku fondly. It is revealed that in her life, the Raven Queen, Nitbuza, Sen, and Galtinger tried to choose Abiku for… something, but the Raven Queen suggests that telling Abiku will destroy her already fragile mind. Meanwhile, Dewey does some sleepwalking and sees a vision of that same bloody battlefield. But this time, instead of dying, he's at a camp with all the former paragons. Dewey begins to wake up, nearly stumbling off the dais, but Karvach's echo steadies him. Together, they talk, and Dewey realizes he has to accept his destiny in order to be free from it. In the morning, the party awakens and sets out with new vigor to find the herd and claim the godshard of Galtanger for Dewey. V admits that she was the reason that the village had not been receiving supplies, and the party is gently kicked out of town. The party enacts their grand plan to stop the hunter, with Abiku drawing the ire of the hound and leading it further and further away from the hunter, which seems to weaken both the hunter and the hound. V suddenly sprouts draconic leathery wings and lights up the hunter with powerful fire magic. Rev slashes at the hunter to little avail. Dewey gets smacked out of the sky and drops a couple of his inventions, which remind him of his sword son. Dewey apologizes sincerely for not being there for sword son and helps him choose a name, Dusty. Dusty wants to be a person, and Dewey promises to help him achieve that goal. Together, Dusty and Dewey are able to use the spell Infoportation, which allows Dewey to teleport next to his own inventions as he faces down the hunter. It soon becomes obvious that there's no winning this fight without a lot of light, so Dewey calls out to Galtanger and finds himself suddenly in a meadow. Galtanger answers his plea, and Dewey tries this whole Paragon business again, but this time with the knowledge that he's ready to accept his fate. Finally, Galtanger accepts Dewey, and their union is explosive. Dewey wakes up in a grassy clearing, sunlight streaming onto his face. He's greeted by Karvach, who realizes that Dewey will not be taking the legendary bow Sunshot, and that the God Jar has instead become his paragon weapon. The two paragons say their final goodbyes across space, time, and divinity, and Dewey finally wakes up and has his magical girl transformation. Dewey uses the God Jar to create a miniature sun and flings it at the hunter. This blaze of radiant light decimates the empty beast, and it instantly turns to ash and dust. 
The party processes everything that just happened, and together in high spirits, they set back toward Toktowa's war camp. The Kagan is not so easily convinced of Dewey's success, but after a few sharp words from Galtinger herself, she promptly changes her tune. Toktowa is dismal. She spent her whole life ambitiously chasing Galtinger's will and truly believed she would be Paragon. Galtinger reveals there's another path forward, that of the Keepers. Apparently, Abiku and Shrinyi were keepers in their age, and Galtinger says it seems that the Raven Queen has once again chosen Abiku to champion her values. Abiku stays in the tent with Toktowa after the party is dismissed, and the two of them have a heart-to-heart -heart break in which Toktowa pushes Abiku away, and the two agree not to be intimate anymore. Abiku is fine until she leaves the tent and can't contain her tears anymore. She runs to another pit of black sand, where a voice tells her to head north. Frustrated and heartbroken, Abiku has no choice but to agree. Meanwhile, V and Rev tell Dewey they're proud of him. It's awkward and sweet, and together the team prepares for the next leg of their journey, setting their sights back on the homestead. <laughs>